Chapter Twelve of An Amiable Charlatan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Amiable Charlatan by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Chapter Twelve: The Emancipation of Louis. At about half past ten the following morning, I turned into Prince's Gardens to find a four-wheel cab drawn up outside the door of Mister Bundercombe's house. On the roof was a dressing-case made of some sort of compressed cane and covered with linen. Accompanying it was a black tin box, on which was painted in white letters, Hannah Bundercombe, President, W.S.F. Standing by the door was a footman with an article in his hand that I believe is called a grip, which in the present instance I imagine took the place of a dressing-case. I surveyed these preparations with some interest. The temporary departure of Mrs. Bundercombe would, I felt, have an enlivening influence upon the establishment. As I turned in at the gate, Mrs. Bundercombe herself appeared. She was followed by a young woman who looked distinctly bored, and whom I was not at first able to place. Mrs. Bundercombe was in a state of unusual excitement. "'Say, Mr. Walmsley,' she began, and her voice seemed to come from her forehead, it was so shrill and nasal. How long will it take me to get to St. Pancras? I looked at the four-wheeler, on the roof of which another servant was now arranging a typewriter in its tin case. I should say about thirty-five minutes. In that, I replied, a taxi would do it in a quarter of an hour. None of your taxis for me, Mrs. Bundercombe declared warmly. I am not disposed to trust myself to a piece of machinery that can be made to tell any sort of lies. I like to pay my fare and no more. If thirty-five minutes will get me to St. Pancras, then I guess I'll make my train. You are leaving us for a few days, I remarked, suddenly catching a glimpse of a face like a round moon beaming at me from the window. I have received a dispatch, Mrs. Bundercombe announced, drawing a letter with pride from an article that I believe she called her reticule, signed by the secretary of the Women's League of Freedom, asking me to address their members at a meeting to be held at Leeds to-night. "'Very gratifying,' I murmured. "'How the woman knew I was in England,' Mrs. Bundercombe continued, carefully replacing the missive, "'I cannot imagine, but I suppose these things get about. In any case, I felt it my duty to go. Some of us, Mr. Walmsley,' she added, regarding me with a severe air, think of little else save the various pleasures we are able to cram into our lives day by day. Others are always ready to listen to the call of duty. I wish you a pleasant journey, Mrs. Bundercombe, I said, raising my hat. I suppose I shall find Eve in. No doubt you will, she snapped. I glanced at the depressed young woman. I am taking a temporary secretary with me, Mrs. Bundercombe explained. Recent reports of my speeches in this country have been so unsatisfactory that I have lost confidence in the press. I am taking an experienced shorthand writer with me, who will furnish the various journals with a verbatim report of what I say. Much more satisfactory, I am sure, I agreed, edging toward the house. I wish you a successful meeting, Mrs. Bundercombe. You mustn't miss your train. And I trust— Mrs. Bundercombe concluded, as she turned to enter the cab, that if you accompany Eve in her shopping expeditions to-day, or during my absence, you will not encourage her in any fresh extravagances. I made my way into the house and entered the morning-room as the cab drove off. Mr. Bundercombe and Eve were waltzing. 
mr bundercombe paused at my entrance and wiped his forehead he was very hot a little ebullition of feeling my dear paul he explained on seeing you you met mrs bundercombe you have heard the news i gathered i remarked that mrs bundercombe's sense of duty is taking her to leeds mr bundercombe breathed a resigned sigh <sighs> we shall be alone he announced with ill-concealed jubilation if we have any luck at all for three days one never knows though i propose that we celebrate to-night unless he added with a sudden gloom you too want to go off and dine somewhere alone not likely i assured him quickly daddy eve exclaimed reproachfully mr bundercombe cheered up then if you're both agreeable he proposed let's go and pay luigi a visit i have rather a fancy to show him a re-established mr bundercombe you know i sometimes think he went on that luigi was beginning to regard me with suspicion there isn't any doubt about it i observed dryly we will dine there to-night mr bundercombe decided that is if you two are willing i hesitated for a moment eve was looking at me for my decision i really see no reason why we shouldn't go there i said i have to take eve to some rather dull relatives for luncheon and i suppose we shall be shopping afterward it will brighten up the day we will give luigi no intimation of our coming mr bundercombe suggested with relish we shall be in no hurry so we can order our dinner when we arrive there at eight o'clock at eight o'clock i agreed more presents paul eve informed me taking my arm come along and help me unpack isn't it fun luigi's reception of us that night was most gratifying he escorted us to the best table in the place from which he ruthlessly seized the mystic label that kept it from the onslaughts of less privileged guests he congratulated me upon my parliamentary honors and my engagement in the same breath it was perfectly clear to me that luigi knew all about us he addressed mr bundercombe with an air of deep respect in which was visible too an air of relieved apprehension he took our order himself with the aid of an assistant maitre d'hôtel at whom mr bundercombe glanced with some surprise where is louis he inquired gone left luigi answered mr bundercombe was obviously disappointed say is that so he exclaimed why i thought he was a fixture been here a long time hadn't he nearly twelve years luigi admitted has he got a restaurant of his own mr bundercombe asked luigi shook his head on the contrary sir he replied i think louis has gone off his head he has taken a very much inferior post at a very inferior place a restaurant of a different class altogether not at all comme il faut a little place for the multitude jetrons in soho the foolishness of it for all his old clients must be useless no one would eat in such a hole it is most mysterious we dined well and gaily mr bundercombe renewed many restaurant acquaintances and i am quite sure he thoroughly enjoyed himself every now and then however a shadow rested on his face watching him i felt quite certain of the reason it was only during the last few weeks that i had begun to realize the immense good nature of the man he was worrying about louis we sat there until nearly ten o'clock when we rose to go mr bundercombe turned to us 
Say, he asked, a little diffidently, would you people object to just dropping in at this Gertrand's, or will you go off somewhere by yourselves and meet me afterward? We will go wherever you go, Dad, Eve declared. We are not going to leave you alone when we do have an evening off. I should like to find out about Louis myself, I interposed. I always thought he was the best maitre d'hôtel in London. We drove to Gertrand's and found it in a back street, a shabby, unpretentious-looking place, with a front that had once been white, but that was now grimy in the extreme. The windows were hung with little curtains in the French fashion, whose freshness had also long departed. The restaurant itself was low and teeming with the odour of past dinners. At this hour it was almost empty. Several untidy-looking waiters were rearranging tables. In the middle of the room Louis was standing. He recognised us with a little start, though he made no movement whatever in our direction. He was certainly a changed being. He stood and looked at us as though we were ghosts. Mr. Bundercombe waved his hand in friendly fashion. It was not until then that Louis, with marked unwillingness, came forward to greet us. "'Come to see your new quarters, Louis,' Mr. Bundercombe said cheerfully. "'Find us a table and serve us some of your special coffee. We will dine here another evening.' Louis showed us to a table and handed us over to the care of an unwholesome-looking German waiter, with only a very brief interchange of courtesies, and then, with a word of excuse, he darted away. Mr. Bundercombe looked after him wonderingly. The coffee was brought by the waiter and served without Louis' reappearance. The effect of his absence on Mr. Bundercombe, however, was only to make him more determined than ever to get at the bottom of whatever mystery there might be. "'Just tell Louis, the maitre d'hôtel, I wish to speak to him,' he instructed the waiter. The man departed. Ten minutes passed, but there was no sign of Louis. Mr. Bundercombe sent another and more imperative message. This time Louis obeyed it. As he crossed the room a little hesitatingly toward us, it was almost sad to notice the alteration in his appearance. At Luigi's he had been so smart, so upright, so well-dressed. Here he was a changed being. His hair needed cutting, his linen was no longer irreproachable, his clothes were dusty and out of shape. The man seemed to have lost all care of himself and all pride in his work. When at last he reached the table, Mr. Bundercombe did not beat about the bush. "'Louis,' he said, "'we have been to Stefano's tonight for the first time for some weeks. I came along here to see you because of what Luigi told me.' Now you can just take this from me. You've got to tell me the truth. There's something wrong with you. What is it? Louis extended his hands. He was making his one effort. There is nothing wrong with me, he declared. I left Stefano's to, as they say in this country, better myself. I am in charge here, next to Monsieur Gertrand himself. If Monsieur Gertrand should go back to Italy, I should be manager. It seemed like a good post. Perhaps I was foolish to leave. Louis, Mr. Bundercombe protested, I guess I didn't come round here to listen to lies. You and I had some little dealings together, and I feel I've the right to insist on the truth. Now then, don't give us any more trouble, there's a good fellow. If you'd rather talk to me alone, invite me into the office or behind that desk. Louis looked round the room, which was almost empty, save for the waiters preparing the tables for supper. "'Mr. Bundercombe,' he said, with a little gesture of resignation, "'it is because of those dealings that I came to trouble.' 
mr bundercombe eyed him steadily go on he ordered louis moved closer still to the table it was those banknotes mr bundercombe he confessed you gave me one packet to be destroyed in the kitchen i obeyed but i looked at them first never did i see such wonderful work those notes every one seemed real every one as i put it into the fire gave my heart a pang then the other time when you slipped them under the table to me because mr cullen was about i took them too to the fire i destroyed one two three four five one dozen two dozen and then i came to the last two or three and my fingers they went slow i could not bear it i thought what could be done my wife she was not well i could send her to italy i owe a little bill the tips they had not been good lately behold there was one ten-pound note left when all the others were destroyed i put him in my waistcoat pocket go on mr bundercombe said encouragingly no one is blaming you upon my word it sounds natural enough louis's voice grew a little bolder for some time I hesitated how to change it. Then one day I came here to see my friend Gertron. We came together from Italy. I hand him the note. I ask him, please change. He give me the change, and I say to have a drink with the head waiter, who is a friend of mine. Presently Gertron comes out. He calls me into the office. Then I begin to tremble. He looks at me, and I tremble more. Then he knows that he have got me. Gertrand's a very cruel man, Mr. Bundercombe. He make hard terms. He made me give up my good place at Luigi's. He made me come here and be his head man. He gives me half as much as Luigi, and there are no tips. Besides which, the place offends me every moment of the day. The service, the food, the wines, everything is cheap and bad. I take no pride in my work. I go to Gertrand and I pray him to let me go, but not so. I know my work well. He thinks that I will bring clients. Nowhere else could he get a head man so good as I at the wages of a common waiter. So I stay here, a slave. The man's story was finished. In a sense it seemed ordinary enough, and yet both Eve and I felt a curious thrill of sympathy as he finished. There was something almost dramatic in the man's sad voice his depressed bearing, the story of this tragedy that had come so suddenly into his life. One looked round and realized the truth of all he had said. One realized something, even, of the bitterness of his daily life. Mr. Bundercombe sipped his coffee thoughtfully. "'Tell me why you did not come to me, or write, Louis?' he asked. The man stretched out his hands but it was to you, sir, that I had broken my word, he pointed out. When you gave me that first little bundle, you looked at me so steadfastly when you told me that every scrap was to be destroyed. And I promised, I promised you faithfully. And you asked me afterward about that last batch. You said to me, Louis, you are sure that they are all quite gone? Remember that there is trouble in the possession of them. And I told you a lie. Mr. Bundercombe coughed and poured himself out a little more of the coffee. "'Louis,' he declared, "'you are a fool. You are a blithering idiot. You are a jackass. It never occurred to me before. I am the guilty one for placing such a temptation in your way. 
now where's this monsieur jetron of yours louis looked at him wonderingly there was a dawn of hope in his face blended with a startled fear he arrives in ten minutes he announced he comes down for the supper he is here mr bundercombe glanced round a stout man with a black moustache had entered the room his eyes fell at once on the little group mr bundercombe turned round so that is monsieur gertron louis bowed mr bundercombe beckoned the proprietor to approach an old patron of luigi's mr bundercombe explained introducing himself come round to see our friend louis here delighted i am very sure m gertron exclaimed bowing to all of us it will be a great pleasure to us to do the very best possible for any of louis's friends mr bundercombe rose to his feet he pointed to the little glass framed opposite the other side of the room mr gertron he said i have always been a great patron of louis you and i must have a chat will you not invite us into your little office and show us whether there is not something better to be found than this coffee we will take a glass of brandy together and drink success to your restaurant gertron hastened to lead the way eve in response to a glance from her father remained at the table but i followed mr bundercombe we went into the office gertron himself placed three glasses upon the desk and produced from a cupboard a bottle of what appeared to be very superior brandy mr bundercombe sipped his with relish then he glanced at the closed door mr gertron he began i have been having a chat with louis he has told me of his troubles told me the reason for his leaving luigi and accepting this post with you gertron paused with the bottle suspended in mid-air he slowly set it down a frown appeared on his face mind you mr bundercombe continued i am not sympathizing with louis if what he said is true i am inclined to think you have been very merciful gertron recovered his confidence he tried louis tried my old friend he complained to take advantage of me to enrich himself at my expense by means of a false note that is the only point mr bundercombe said was the note bad do you know i can scarcely bring myself to believe it the restaurant-keeper smiled very deliberately he produced a great bunch of keys from his pocket and opened the safe which stood in a corner of the office mr bundercombe whispered a scarcely audible word in my ear and became absorbed once more in the brandy presently gertron returned he laid on the desk and smoothed out carefully what was to all appearances a ten-pound note if you will examine that carefully sir he begged you will see that it is the truth that note he is very well made but he is not a good bank of england note mr bundercombe slowly adjusted his glasses placed the note in front of him and smoothed it carefully with his large hand this is very interesting he murmured allow me to make a close examination i've seen some high-class printing in my gertron started as though he were shot and jumped round toward me with unpardonable clumsiness i had upset my glass in leaning over to look at the note i am awfully sorry i exclaimed glancing ruefully at my trousers would you give me a napkin quickly 
Gertron hastened to the door of the office and called to a passing waiter. The napkin was soon procured, and I rubbed myself dry. The restaurant-keeper returned to the desk at Mr. Bundercombe's side. "'All I can say,' Mr. Bundercombe declared, as he drew away from the note, which he had been examining, "'is that I do not wonder you were deceived, Mr. Gertron. This note is the most perfect imitation I have ever seen in my life. A wicked piece of work, sir.' "'You recognize the fact, however, that the note is beyond question counterfeit,' Mr. Gertron persisted. "'I fear you are right,' Mr. Bundercombe admitted. "'There is a slight imperfection. Yes, yes, a very bad business, Mr. Gertron. We must come here often and try to see whether we cannot make you a second Luigi.' Gertron returned to the safe with the note which he carefully locked up. "'Very excellent brandy,' Mr. Bundercombe pronounced warmly. "'You will see a great deal more of us, my friend. I promise you that. We shall haunt you.' Mr. Gertron bowed to the ground. "'You are always very welcome, and the young lady.' We rejoined Eve, paid our bill, and made our way to the door. Louis, looking very pathetic, was in the background. Mr. Bundercombe beckoned to him. "'Louis!' "'You can give your shark of an employer a week's notice tonight. "'I have the note in my pocket,' he whispered. "'It's cost me a good one, but I owed you that. "'On Monday week, Louis, I shall order my dinner from you at Luigi's.' "'The man's face was wonderful. "'He came a little closer. "'He was shaking at the knees. "'His hands were trembling, and his mouth was twitching. "'Mr. Bundercombe,' he pleaded hoarsely, you would not deceive me mr bundercombe looked at him steadfastly on my honor louis the note is in my pocket already torn in four pieces when i put my hand into my waistcoat pocket to pay my bill in three minutes it will be in a hundred pieces gone you need have no fear the note mr Gertron is guarding so carefully is a very excellent ten-pound note of my own at a quarter to eight on the following Monday week, Mr. Bundercombe and I entered Luigi's restaurant. Louis himself advanced to greet us, the old Louis, whose linen was irreproachable, whose bearing and deportment and gracious smile all denoted the Louis of old. Mr. Bundercombe ordered dinner and beckoned Louis to come a little nearer. "'Was there any trouble?' he inquired. "'For me, no,' Louis replied. "'But Monsieur Jatron never never have i seen a man like it he fetched out the note now he said i take your notice you take mine ring up the police or shall i then i tell him i say i don't believe the note bad at all he laughed at me he got it from the safe and laid it on the desk not bad he jeered not bad then he stood looking at it mr bundercombe i see his face change his mouth came wide open his eyes looked as though they would drop out he bent over that note he looked at it and looked at it and then he looked at me i don't believe that note ever was bad i say i told you when you charged me i didn't believe it that is why i have made up my mind to give you notice to go away from here and if that note is bad then you can put me in prison Monsieur Gertron, he went back to the safe. He rummaged round among a pile of papers, and soon he came out again. He was looking pasty-coloured. 
Louis, he said, someone has been very clever. You can go to hell. And so, Mr. Bundercombe, Louis wound up, beaming, here I am. End of chapter 12